Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. I'm excited to be attending and recording shows at Rainmaker 2016. You can join keynote speaker Gary Vanderchuk along with modern revenue leaders at the only conference dedicated to the sales development industry, March 7th and 9th in Atlanta. Get tickets now to receive cutting-edge sales content from thought leaders, learn best practices during breakout sessions, and come network with the world's top sales influencers. If you use the promo code BTFS and the number 30, you'll get 30% off. More information is on the show website at buildingthefutureshow.com. I'm also going to be at the Business Rocks Tech, Music, and Investment Summit recording shows live in Manchester, England, April 21st and 22nd, where Steve Wozniak is headlining. More information about the summit is on the show website at buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Jeffrey Walker, founder of Content Carnivores. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Kevin. It's great to be on. Please yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show. You kind of have an interesting take on kind of being an entrepreneur over 30. So, um, but maybe kind of before we get into that, let's talk about kind of your background and where you grew up. Yeah, that sounds good because I think a lot of stuff in the background does inform what you end up doing later in life, which sure. we'll talk about in terms of this concept that we're playing around with called olderpreneurs, which is, which is kind of fun. To, I love to it. Think. And um, in fact, it sort of started out in some discussions with friends who went to business school and started um, kind of, I guess, looking at successful entrepreneurs and a trend among them, or really not even a trend, but a, a, a phenomenon where most of them were not first-time founders. Sure. In fact, many of them were over 40. And if you look at some of the most successful exits, things, you know, even companies like Twitter, really big, but also just smaller companies that get acquired or go public, most of them do have some part of them that is uh, an olderpreneur. So that's sure. something interesting. So I, I grew up in the Midwest, in the U.S., right in um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which okay. is just a little north of Chicago. I live in Chicago now, so still in the Midwest. And, you know, at that time, Milwaukee was a little bit of a sort of an in-between city with a little bit of an identity crisis. It wasn't Chicago and it wasn't Minneapolis. It was okay. something else. And there was always this sense of the, you know, the heritage of beer and sausage and Midwest and cheese and Wisconsin sure. and the Green Bay Packers, of course. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, and, and I'll say that all of those things are still dear to me. Sure. Sure. No, I even, I have some friends that are big uh, Green Bay uh, fans, even up in Canada. So I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things. So even living in Chicago now where people are all Bear fans, sure. you still have a little bit of that background with you right. and that loyalty and, and that kind of, kind of thing that, that sinks in. The one thing from the Packers that's kind of interesting too is when you're growing up, um, you know, you read the stories and the legend of the Packers and all those teams and everything. And there is sort of baked into the vibe up there, this sort of Vince Lombardi mentality, right. which I think suits entrepreneurs quite well. For sure. It's really it's sort of like, you know, win, you know, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing, right? Is right. like a Vince Lombardi quote. And it sounds kind of badass, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's appropriate. You know, it's totally. sort of, that's the way they played. They won. And, you know, if you want to be an entrepreneur, it's definitely, um, you know, something that is a fairly serious undertaking, you know? Sure. No, no I, I think that's a great quote. And I, it's interesting, like, 
it, there's a bunch of industries I think that kind of relate to kind of the the whole startup culture. I would almost say kind of um, the music industry, at least for me, is kind of almost the same thing, right? Where guys, there's certain people that are just they're willing to do whatever it takes, and you know, sleep on people's floors and travel in a little van and you know, do whatever, right? And it's kind of the same thing, right? And in the hopes that you make a big one day, right? And so it's interesting that you kind of, you're coming from a sports angle because I, I, I love music and I listen to music and a lot of kind of the bands that I grew up listening to were kind of that way. And for me, I think that's what inspired me to kind of be an entrepreneur and, and whatnot. But, but yeah, no, like it makes sense if, if, that, if sports is that for you. Yeah, and music, music too. I mean, you know, growing up and looking at those bands, and um, there's one story. You know, there's there's a group in Milwaukee, the Violent Femmes. Yeah, 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 totally. Those guys. So they they basically got their break um, standing out there. Um, there was a, a theater that played all the art films, right? And you know, they were a little band in Milwaukee that nobody knew about. And when Chrissy Hind and the Pretenders were playing at that little venue, they went out and literally stood in the street and just played. Right? Really. That's and awesome. So, so of course they, you know, they loved them and they picked them up and they started to then, uh, you know, have sort of a, a a little boost from that. So that mentality, right, is just part of me too. You know, moving kind of into my background a little bit. Sure. I did. I actually did play guitar in a stupid band for a while and toured around, so I know what that's like. Sure, sure. That, no, that's so, awesome. <laughs> I know I've played in some uh, terrible bands over the years too. Like I was I'm kind of a drummer. I haven't played in a number of years. Sadly, I I don't know. I should really set it up and start playing again. But and I can play guitar terribly, or or, or you know turn up the distortion and play power chords. Exactly. <laughs> Still fun. Still totally fun. To fun. Love it. Yeah, but you know, again, all these experiences that add up to you know showing that you know if you're going to play in a band or you're going to relate to sort of you know certain things you do start to say that might be part of the DNA. And I know there's nature versus nurture arguments about that, but I look at that too as, you know, the sleeping on the floors and the being in stupid bands and stuff is kind of an early sign that maybe there is sort of this spirit that needs to, to sort of invent something or be creative. Totally. Um, for me, part of, my, part of my background too was I went into um, marketing and advertising and ended up being a creative director at a big global agency. But I was working on things like Nintendo and some Disney and some other kind of fun, cool projects and doing TV commercials. Sure. Uh, and that was that was good and paid the bills and I, you know, put the family together and all that kind of stuff. But there was still another part of me that wanted to, you know, because I grew up as a writer, wanted to do some more things. And so I, I kind of left that for a little bit and also worked um, in Hollywood on a show that was on Cartoon Network. Um, right. It's called Common Rider Dragon Knight and it was kind of a show that that was uh, based on a Japanese anime series which is kind of cool and it had great fight scenes and, very and cool. things like that um, and still do some consulting for um, like Lego and some of their entertainment projects not as much as, as when I was working on that you know and, and trying seriously to do more of that but it's again another part of the background of, of trying to create something and bring it to life sure um, and I've always had, like even in college, sort of a programming – I don't have a CS degree. Sure. And I don't code for a living. But I definitely realized the power of being able to code even a little bit and do some task work. and was able to do that work in college with the help of some of my really smart CS friends. 
Sure. And that part of it always appealed to me. And as, as the sort of, you know, digital world took off and started to become more important, I realized that I wanted to participate and I wanted to do some things that were, um, you know, emerging. But I also just didn't have the chops, you know, I mean, to put it in a musical sense, I didn't have a CS degree, I didn't have an MBA, and I kind of needed to figure out how that worked. So I got a job at Monster.com, which is the big job site. Sure, yep. And I ended up developing products with, a, you know, a lot of really talented teams in three continents and, you know, trying to figure out literally how, how to um, build products as, as more a product guy than on the development side and how to work with dev teams. Sure. And then I saw the, the opportunity from that for content carnivores, which is really a digital toolkit for content marketing. There's so much opportunity with social networks, with publishing content, sharing it, having opinions, but it's all really a pain in the butt. Totally. You know, most people have to, you know, you, I mean, you do it to promote your show. Yep. And there's so many different products and integrations and buttons to push that if we could actually put that together in a way and, and build it like a big box of Legos that, all you know just has the shape and the form and all you have to do is run it from a mobile app and grow your audience be relevant establish thought leadership share cool stuff and also be able to uh, create your original stuff and have opinions then normal regular people and brands that are smaller or even startups can participate in this whole content marketing and and really do well with it so that's the product that we built is a, a platform that enables that Sure. No. And, and that's kind of what I found kind of interesting when we, we first talked is, is kind of the idea that, well, you've obviously done, you have quite an impressive background in, in you know, brands and stuff that you've worked with. And then you're basically taking all that knowledge and you're, you're basically, you know, helping new companies and individuals kind of promote themselves and brand. And I, I think that's, that's really cool because you're right. It is, it's really hard. And I, I know people kind of say, um, that obviously like I'm on social media and I'm promoting and stuff like that, but I'm still learning as well. And I don't even think I'm that good at it. And some people would kind of argue that a little bit, but you know, like I just interviewed somebody recently about the importance of kind of Snapchat, never saw it until I talked to her, to be a hundred percent honest with you, um, started doing some, some shows on blab and, you know, kind of getting into some of the newer social networks. It's, there's just so many out there and things are changing so fast. And, you know, and, and I'm sure you're in the same boat. Like I work full time. The radio show is kind of a, a fun, awesome side project that I'm, I'm having a blast doing that, you know, requires me to kind of push myself out of my comfort zone a little bit and promote on social media. And so I think what you're doing is kind of interesting because it gives people like myself that are probably almost too busy for social media, the ability to make more time for it. And you're exactly right. And there's also, um, you know, in spite of the stuff we all do and, and we're not, you know, necessarily shy about it or, you know, whatever, putting yourself out there digitally is a little weird. Totally. There's just sort of that moment where I don't want to brag or I don't want to be a jerk. Totally. And I don't want to just make everybody think that I'm just talking about myself all the time. And that's totally. something... Oh, yeah, because that's the first thing people think is, oh, what did you have for breakfast? And who cares, right? Yep. Um, that's changed a lot. In the last couple of years, you know, brands have jumped on and started to do a lot more digital marketing. But it's amazing what really works and what, you know, people respond to is authentic people having opinions, you know, and talking about ideas. 
It's not so much the brand and what they want to promote. It's really the ideas and the concepts around the brand that, that get picked up. And if we can do that very deliberately and sort of help people to, to see that, then they're more comfortable talking about stuff that's just cool to them, right? Stuff totally. that maybe, maybe it's core to the business. Maybe it's something that's an emerging topic that's of interest. Or maybe they just like it. Maybe they just like guitars, right? Totally. And they want to talk about it. Um, and then all that should start to, just like anything else, have a relationship. You should start to say it's not just social media. You know, social media is the, the channel, right? It's the totally. distribution vehicle. But it's really what's behind it and who's the person. And, you know, that gives everybody a chance to have a little bit of a personal brand instead of just, you know, here's a corporate brand. Here's the people behind it. No, I, I totally agree. And it's interesting that you mentioned kind of feeling uncomfortable sharing stuff because for me, I don't mind promoting what other people are doing. I struggle promoting what I'm doing. Even even in a when I'm like in front of like just out with friends or kind of acquaintances and when they ask kind of what's new, I, I find that very awkward. And and like I just recently watched um the Rush documentary on Netflix and Neil Peart, obviously one of the greatest drummers of all time. You could argue whether if he's the best or not, but he won't go to the meet and greets because it makes him so uncomfortable and he's not trying to be like rude. It just makes him so uncomfortable when people almost like gush over how like how good he is and kind of give him the like it makes him uncomfortable when people are like, you're awesome. You inspired me. Like, thank you. Like that makes him uncomfortable. And I, I found that really fascinating because I kind of feel the same way, obviously like in a different context, but it's kind of, it got me really thinking about that because when kind of people ask me like what I'm up to, it makes me really uncomfortable. And I kind of try to change the subject. And I think it's an interesting point that you kind of brought up. Like, do you kind of agree with that or, or how do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, I had to. I, I think I share that reluctance, and I think a lot of creative people feel, you know, like they just rather let the the work speak for itself. Yeah, and, and I know plenty of, you know, I was at a holiday party, and a designer friend of mine, who's pretty famous, has won a lot of awards, and I won't say his name because sure. he's at his own party at his own firm, and he's kind of just lurking in the shadows, and I'm like, come on, man, you know, it's your party, and he's like, nah. I'd, I'd rather just stay back here and like people want to talk to me will find me, you know? Yeah, no, that that's interesting. And I, I think that's kind of important to mention that certain people, certain things are just make them like very uncomfortable. Right. And I think trying to push yourself out of that comfort zone um, is kind of something that I, I try to do all the time. Like to be a hundred percent honest with you, I fear public speaking. And part of me doing the radio show was to get over that fear in a lot of cases. I think that's great. And, you know, I, I think using that and saying now you can get, like you say, out of your comfort zone, do something that is good for you and sharing information and contributing to like building the future. That's cool. Um, but finding the right channel that fits your personality and your brand and everything is, is also cool. There's, there's something else I read. I can't remember who said it, but basically they said, if you're really an introvert and you don't want to be public, then use that to your advantage for sure and, and create a cartoon persona. And I, I always love that band gorillas, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's like, yeah, why not do that in your personal brand? Just create some kind of a, a, a cool cartoon, you know, an anime character and just let that be who your digital presence is. And, you know, if that's what you want to do, then that'll probably work just fine for you. 
because quite honestly, if you don't like what you're putting out there, you won't do it. And then you'll have no digital presence. No, that's that that's actually really good advice. I, I actually just talked to a lady about that, that she's she's an actress and um, she's been in some like big name TV shows and, and um, whatnot. And she said that like when she's playing the characters, she's totally comfortable. But if you ask her to be herself, she's like completely uncomfortable. So and she's been doing, you know, some stuff for for decades. Right. And you'd think that you know, people that have been doing it for so long, you think, of course they would be comfortable in talking in front of the camera or people or, or whatnot. But in a lot of cases, if they're not playing a character, they're totally out of their element. And and I think your comment earlier about kind of, um, you know, me being a designer, I, I, you're, I'm, I'm the kind of the same way where I'm like, just the work speaks for itself. Either you like it or hate it. It doesn't really matter. Don't, I don't really want to talk about it, right? It's kind of weird. So it's interesting, and I'm, I'm kind of glad we're having this conversation because I'm sure there's tons of listeners out there that, that you know, have some sort of kind of insecurity about something, and whether it's rational or not, we all have that, whether, you know, you're just getting into the industry or you've been in, in the industry for decades. Yeah, I agree, and I think, too, it's part of the – the sort of reality that whether we like it or not, there is a digital sort of stamp on all of us. Sure. And what we do, you know, is collected and it is shared. And I don't mean in a creepy way, although it can be. Sure. But there's there's certainly, you know, more evidence out there that people can look up about who we are. And that terrifies some people and other people see it as, you know, this opportunity. And then in the middle, there's sort of the rest of us that, that want to sort of manage it. And, you know, if you get a little bit beyond just managing it, becomes a real asset where you can start to, you know, again, this is part of the content carnivores philosophy is you can actually share good ideas from other people and your own ideas without having it be obnoxious. Sure. And you can use that to start conversations. Um, you know, the, the personal branding part of what we all do online is, is inevitable, but I think the opportunity for it to be managed gives, gives people a chance to actually wrangle it. Whereas before, it was just sort of whatever was out there was out there. And now I think, you know, it is a branding exercise and something that can be uh, can be used in a good way. To, to get sort of into the entrepreneur part, um, you don't have a choice. You're out there raising money. Totally. For customers. You want people who are going to come and be co-founders or partners. You want people who are going to work for you. And all of that can be a lot easier if they can just look you up and say, oh, okay, here are things that I relate to that they've stood for. Here are things that they've said that I agree with. And you can actually start to say that, you know, those conversations are a lot easier once you have that uh, that framework. Sure. So I'm kind of curious, maybe just for the listener, um, where can they go? Um, like, let's. where's the website for Content Carnivores? How do I get started? Um, kind of maybe talk about a little bit um, about the product. Yeah, so there's there's two parts. One thing, okay, so um, I'll step back a little bit. We sure. started three years ago. Okay. And it was this idea of how to, how to automate a lot of these pain-in-the-butt, you know, content marketing things. Sure. Um, so we started to put that together and raised a little bit of money, kind of a, an angel round that allowed us to get a good development team together and start to build this thing out. And what we learned then was that everybody needs it. 
but what's the right market for it and who can actually adopt it? Sure. And so it's kind of interesting because we tried different categories in different industries and, you know, we looked at, you know, basically managed services where we run it for people or we looked at truly self-serve where people needed to, to jump in and do it. And so what we arrived at last year, so the first year we built the product and tested it. Second year we tried a, a lot of really just different experiments with different categories, right? And sure. Some of them business related, some of them personal. We did some things with authors and filmmakers, okay. which we're still doing where we, we allow them to use it free and help to you know basically build their brand and, and hope to get that next deal or the next book contract or promote their films and things. Right. So we tried it like that and then we also tried it with bigger ticket things. And what we lined up was there are certain opportunities which help us um, in, in a lot of ways to run programs for people. And so what we've done is created a managed service program which is mostly for the financial services industry which sounds kind of boring, but in terms of a business, they have not participated. They don't know what they're doing. And I can staff up with, you know, people who are content creators and understand the financial world. And then they can run these really great programs for people. And, you know, right now there's so much wealth in the country and there's so many opportunities through things like equity crowdfunding or just other types of things other than just going to a traditional broker. Sure. You know, there's, all kinds of investments for people. So why not let the good ones stand out and educate? So that's that's something that's on the managed services side. And and then there's a self-serve model on the other side, which is literally we're about to launch that. And um, that's, you know, going to literally be come up and sign up through the website and start to tell us a couple of questions about the types of content you want to share. And then, you know, you're up and running with a very simple program you know, building some thought leadership. Sure. So, so the, the website is just HTTP um, content carnivores.com. And from there, we'll probably have links to some of these other products. So, so right now that's just the, the general website to get started. Sure. No, I, I think that's awesome. And I, I think that's kind of key is so many people kind of think they need to build like the next Instagram, but there's a lot of these industries that aren't necessarily, you know, quote unquote, kind of sexy and trendy, but you can build really good businesses to make a really good living that can get acquired, right? Yep. And I think kind of people forget about that, especially, well, and I shouldn't just pigeonhole people, but I think like, especially like um, the younger kind of millennial kind of um, generation, and I'm a millennial, so I can kind of um, say, say maybe some things that we kind of miss sometimes. And I know even like at work, we're building a, a, a product in in the library space. Again, kind of like a lot of people are like a library space, but um, you know, it's, it's believe it or not, like it, it does really well. There's a lot of people in that space. There's a lot of people that still use it. You know, some people just cause they Google it all the time. Well, some people don't have a computer and some people don't have a phone still. Right. Or there's a lot of things that the library offers that, you know, free magazine subscriptions and, you know, lynda.com subscription that, you know, until I started working in that space, I had no idea. So I think you, you bring up a really good point where, you know, yeah, maybe the financial space isn't necessarily cool, but you can make it cool and you can make it kind of modern and you can kind of bring your own spin on it. And I also love the fact that you, you know, you, you built a product, you went out there, you were testing it in the, in the market, 
you know, you kind of made some modifications, kind of found your area in the market, you know, and that stuff obviously doesn't happen overnight. Right. And I think, too, that comes with a little bit of experience and and having built, you know, some other products and, you know, raised a little bit of money for a a different company that actually failed. It didn't, you know, just sort of blow up. It just sort of lost its edge technically. Sure. And so you learn a little bit from that too, and you say, okay, what is the market that can accept this technology and be useful? What can be profitable because investors do want to get their money back? Right. Can continue to grow and to to fill a need that that maybe something else isn't. And in some cases, that's creating something that's completely original and blows everybody away. And I think that's a lot of fun. And I think that that's always part of the spirit. And I think there's also just as much fun in saying, what's a really hard problem to solve? And in this case, you know, you're looking at the financial world. Basically, people who want to put money into an investment, they don't want to raise their hand on social media. Right? Totally. They don't want to say, hey, I'm an investor, and then get pounced on by a bunch of jerks. Totally. They want to sort of like say, well, who am I going to trust? And you talk about millennials, and part of the, the, the motivation behind this category, and I think why it's succeeding right now is, you know, people are starting to research their own investments, relying less on brokers. There's a whole trend towards robo-advisors where literally they just play by the numbers, okay? What are what are the things that the factors all incorporating my risk tolerance, the market opportunity, past performance, all these things, and, you know, basically programmatically and data-driven investment. Sure. So then, there's, you know, lots of things there too where, um, you know, there's reports saying that there's $23 trillion worth of money about to exchange hands at about the rate of, you know, $2 trillion a year in the U.S. in the next 10 years. Wow. That's a lot of money. Yep. And most of it is money that isn't earned. It's passed along, right? So somebody's going to be investing it. Sure. How do you help people make those decisions? And, again, how do you use content and build a brand saying this is, you know, somebody who's credible? These people are, you know good at what they do, here's what they stand for. And I think, you know, beyond that, there's also a huge opportunity for a trend called impact investing, which is companies that are maybe low profit, but they're designed to still make, you know, make money, but have some impact on society. Sure. And there's a huge amount, I think, amount of heart that's going to go into that, especially from younger people on investing. So if we can work with companies like that that are cool and have a good message, or they just have a really smart fintech platform, sure. That just to make your own choices, then you know you feel like that's contributing to something that is useful and that's going to help people. And breaking, you know, you hate to say disruption, which is a little overused, but definitely you know a market that needs to be shaken up a little bit. No, I hundred percent agree with you. And and when we chatted the first time, I I think what what I found kind of inspiring about what you're doing is. You know, you've had tons of experience. You've done a bunch of different things, um, you know, and and you kind of are using that experience as almost like being almost like more disruptive to use the term that you, you just said that is kind of um, overused. And I, I think it is. And why why I say that is because I think there's so many people out there that have been in, you know, a certain industry or even a couple industries over their career that are maybe, you know, over 30 or, or 40 or, or whatnot, and that they could easily build a product in the space that, you know, they've known and made a career out of for decades that 
And I think they're scared a little bit because they're like, well, I'm not 20. It's like, well, I, I think you don't need to be. Age is just irrelevant in a lot of cases, right? And I think in some cases, I love the fact that you've used kind of your experience to create a company and, and that you did that. And do you want to maybe kind of talk about um, kind of the pros and cons and, and what you kind of went through and why you decided to kind of create a company not being 20, you know? Yeah, I think that's a good question because a lot of people would be afraid of it. They, they have a career, they're making a living, you know, they have the things that go along with that. Sure. And then there's a certain type of person that sees an idea and, and starts to say, well, you know, and, and I think a lot of people have great ideas and, you know, that can be an idea for a book, right? It doesn't sure. have to be a business or they have a movie idea. Um, a lot, I think everybody has something inside them that, that they're trying to somehow work through. Um, in the case of starting a business, though, there's all those things like, how do I actually do it? What if I didn't go to business school? Sure. How would I raise money? Do I really want to risk anything, you know, at this point and, and make my life more complicated? Um, you know, things like what would my family or friends say? Sure. And, and, I, and I think maybe 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, that was valid because those things were probably life-altering and crippling in some respects if it didn't go well. Sure. But what's happened in the last few years is that there's this tremendous energy around startups and around innovation and also around technology that allows things to happen so rapidly that an idea can come together really quickly in a concept form, especially if it's somehow you know, related to technology. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of services that allow people to build things, whereas even when I was at Monster, everything was from scratch. It was all enterprise, right? Sure. This is 2010, right? This is not that long ago. Yep. But what happens now is you can say, all right, here's five or six pieces of the puzzle that go together already. And there's different services that, you know, platform as a service, for example, can integrate lots of different pieces of the puzzle. Whereas before you'd have to actually know what your, you know, database structure was going to be and spend six months building out your tables and, you know, things that were really, really complicated that have now become, at least in prototype, doable. Totally. And so I think, you know, that movement is, is hugely inspiring to a lot of people. I think the other part is, like you alluded to, there's a lot of people who just see that, you know, their workplace sucks, you know? It's mm -hmm. like, this is inefficient, or why do we do it this way? And at a certain point, they get fed up with that, and they say, what if I actually turned this into a business? Totally. And the thing about being an entrepreneur is you have some authority with that. You can say, look, I worked in whatever the vertical is, and here's the problem I saw, and here's what we built to try and fix that. You can also start to say, look, here's other people who can tell me and endorse that. They can say, you know what, this guy is not only credible um, you know, as somebody who worked in the field, but somebody who has an idea that is a good match and does solve a problem for this industry. And the other part that entrepreneurs have that I think is a tremendous advantage is access to capital. Sure. If you've succeeded in your career, you know, and again, it could be somebody who's just, you know, floating around in the middle and not having a great career. But oftentimes the entrepreneur is somebody who did pretty well and they start to say, I've got an idea and I think I can do better. Totally. And those folks have access to friends and family networks that, that get them going. They also have credibility within the industry and some contacts and maybe even a, an internal program with a customer. And all of those things can 
make it, I'm not going to say raising capital is ever easy, but it can just make it something that is a little more organic. You know, it's not starting from scratch. Totally. Um, so and I think that's, that's a huge advantage. So the intersection of technology plus the access to capital, I think makes it possible and a little less scary. Sure. And I think the other thing too is a lot of the, the startups, especially if you know an industry and you're like, you know, if I build this little thing and, and you're right, like you prototype it and you even maybe take it to your boss or the CEO or whoever and you say, look, I built this thing. It's saving us, <clears throat> I don't know, 20 hours a week or, or whatever that number is. You know, maybe that's not a business necessarily, but you could, you you know, you build a few of those and then maybe it becomes a business. Like you don't have to just quit quit your job and, and you know, do this thing and, and sell everything you own and, and fund a thing. You can kind of build these things slow over time and kind of as a side project and kind of see where it goes. And and you're right. The fact that you've been in an industry for a long time, you have friends and you can show it to people, you can get feedback and, you know, you can kind of iterate over time. And, you know, some of the bigger industries, sometimes it takes them, you know, years to get to move to a new platform or, or something new. So I, I think like people are so scared to show people their ideas because they, they feel like they're going to get ripped off. But in, in a lot of cases, especially enterprise, they might be six months, a year out from even potentially even talking about rolling out one new feature, never mind a whole new platform that you're building kind of in the evening or, or with friends or, or you're spending money kind of part-time getting built. Have you kind of experienced that as well? Absolutely. I think there's a huge trend where a lot of the corporations feel left out. Mm-hmm. They, they haven't been able to. Now, some of them who are really big will just buy stuff, right? If you're sure. Oracle, you're going to buy whatever you want. But I think the smaller or, or mid-sized companies or those who are not tech companies have felt like they are not participating at the level they want. And so even in industries like healthcare, you see kind of a skunk works mentality. Totally. Where they have a team of people, and, and if it goes well, then they actually dedicate some resources to it. Um, there was news at CES you know, recently about Ford Motor Company talking about becoming a auto and mobility company. Yep. And you know things like that where you're just seeing that this is integrating into every part of every company. Part of it is they want to stay relevant. Part of it is just the technology is what we're doing. So any company that's not receptive to it, I, I would have a hard time believing that they're in business in a few years. No, I, I 100% agree. And it's interesting to me because like, I am so deeply embedded in this tech space. And, you know, I have the latest MacBook Pro and Android phone and tablet and whatever else. And, you know, I'm a Chromebook user. And most people look at you like, huh, Chromebook or or whatnot. But, you know, there's even some enterprise clients that I that I work with at work that, let's just put it this way, like their user experience team just got corporate iPhones in 2015. And when <laughs> I heard that, I was like, my... Like, it made me really, really think. Like, you know, I've, well, I, I went, I had an iPhone when it first first launched and I moved to Android years after that. And I've had an Android phone and I've been an Android user for a number of years now. And I'm just like, you're just moving from BlackBerry to Android in 2015. And to you and I, that kind of sounds kind of crazy, but I think it really put some things in perspective to me that, you know, some of these big businesses and enterprise they move that slowly. Like some of them are just getting to build Android and iOS apps 
where you and I have been using Android and iOS for almost a decade. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And we face it a lot because, you know, let's say we're working with people who are not digitally savvy. And, yep. and, and, you know, we started running things with Twitter when Twitter launched, right? Yep. And so I've been, you know, part of that and, and have seen how it works. And so it's second nature, even totally. though I'm a little older, it's still just something that is not a big deal. Yep. But explaining Twitter to CEOs of major financial companies is weird. Totally. They don't get it, yep. and and they but they want to know, and they're smart people, and they ask a lot of questions, but ultimately they don't have to know. It works. I mean, you know, if they want to know curiously and how the technology works and how the data tables, you know, behind all the different points that are collected with every tweet comes together, and how we query those, because we do actually, you know, we integrate with all the APIs of all the social networks, right, um, and and pull data from them, you know, publicly available. Um, and that's part of how we predict what we're going to write about in some cases. But anyway, they, they get interested in that story that I tell, and then they want to know how it works. And then it's like, you know, you're a CEO of a big company or a middle company or whatever, and you should probably just go along with the fact that it's a social network and we're going to distribute, and here's how it works, but not understand every little bit of it because it seems to be beyond them. It's like explaining it to your grandmother. Totally. You know? Yeah. Which sounds like an insult. It's not meant to be, but it's it's kind of like, you know, you probably don't even know what um, the difference between, you know, basically secure network is and a regular network. You know. Yeah. No. I, and, and yet you know that you need a secure network, right? Yeah. No, it, it's interesting because I and I'm curious to know if you've kind of found the same thing. I found that um, usually like a CEO type person or or somebody kind of high up there in, in a big organization, what ends up happening is their son or daughter will get, you know, a new, like an iPhone or, or even an iPod touch or an iPad. And that kind of is their entrance into the mobile space. And, and, you know, sometimes they still have Blackberries, for example, and they get, you know, they pick up their son or daughter's iPad and they say, well, let me check our website on this or how come we don't have an app in the store? And they don't even really know what that means, but they're like, how come my stuff's not on this iPad? You know, and they go to their marketing department the next day or, or within the week and they say, I need our stuff on this device, you know, and I, I've kind of experienced that. And, and that's kind of been fascinating to me, at least, where, you know, it's almost like their kids bring technology to them and then they basically say, we need to be on this. I don't know why, but we need to be on this. Yeah, I think it's true. I think the, you know, just the rapid adoption of everything, especially mobile, you know, this is the third time that, that basically marketers have tried to make mobile work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first time there was the security issue and it just didn't, you know, didn't work. The second time was there just weren't enough people that had it. Sure. And now finally they reached that tipping point last year where they just said, you know what, it is now going mobile. And, you know, you've seen things over the last couple of years, like everything has to be responsive, right? Totally. Every has to have you know the new level of security so that the tracking is clearly displayed and all that stuff and I think that people then start to absorb all of that just from the culture and from the kids and just more kids coming on board and saying here's what we do and that starts to then make uh, older people especially in business again feel left out why aren't we participating in this and in the digital you know social parts of it why aren't we getting anything out of it 
And, you know, the huge trend towards marketing automation over the last five years and trying to, to basically say, here is the ROI from, you know, a social network. Maybe that's good, maybe it's not. I don't, I don't know how you, you know, sort of quantify thought leadership. You can put numbers around anything, but, you know, there's, there's and a brand too has always been the slipperiest thing to actually say, this is what the value of my brand is. But you do look at any brand that's worth anything out there, and, and I think that, you know, the branding part of it is absolutely valuable and helps companies that are good to stand out and, and is critical. So part of that branding is what's your message going to be out there in the world and, and in the form even of the CEOs is I wish more of them were publishing. Sure. You know, people who think about really hard things and they're faced with a lot of challenges, they're under a lot of scrutiny. They probably have a few things that if they could get, again, out of their comfort zone, like we were talking about earlier, and actually you know, stand for something. They could publish and people would say, you know what, I agree with that or I disagree. And I think that would be useful to them. Yeah, I think the other thing too, and I'm kind of curious to know um, your thoughts on this, is if, I don't know, I recently um, just just started um, doing a couple shows on Blab. And, you know, it, to be honest, it was out of my comfort zone a little bit. And um, the thing that I found interesting about it is if you put – you know, if you're if you have somebody tweeting, you really don't know who's tweeting. But if you put the CEO live on a platform, obviously it's the CEO because it you can't fake that, right? And so I I think to your point, I, I think it makes a lot of sense that if you had CEOs that are 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 willing to do it, they could really heighten their brand if they could go on you know different mediums. At, like, don't stop doing what you're doing on social media. That's not the point I'm trying to make is if they could, you know, go on these platforms and it's clearly them because it's live video or even if it's pre-recorded video or Periscope or, or some of these newer networks, you know, it could really help their brand credibility. W would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree 100%. And I, I think, too, that we recommend video. It's one of those things where people, they look at it, and, and I come from a commercial background where mm -hmm. we just spent a lot of money and worked with real directors and again you know the hollywood stuff sure is expensive and, and is very very much you know a, a crafted medium but there's this explosion of periscope and i like blab as well and have done some things with blab and it doesn't have to be as polished in fact it's almost better to just be authentic and, totally. and let it rip yeah, and it's free, right? That's the other thing. Like, plug a mic into into your laptop, and you're recording. You don't even need to plug a mic into your laptop. It just it's a little bit better. Yep, and and so I think chances like that for people to actually put a face to it and and talk a little bit is good. And you know what? It's still social networking, and it's still just like water under the bridge so quickly. It's like, you know, you're lucky to have a few hundred views on something. If it really catches and you get a few thousand or you want to do it some more, then yeah, you can build off of that. But I love that there's a permanent record as well, especially things like Blab, you record it and you have a video, yep. right? And, and you can post it to YouTube and other channels and whatnot, right? Yeah, and I think that's really useful and I think, you know, why not take advantage of things like that? And again, if it's not your style or you don't like doing it, then... You don't have to, right? There's other other mediums. Sure, and I and, and I think maybe if it's not even the CEO, if it's somebody else in the company that 
you know, can talk about certain things that are probably maybe outside your marketing department. I'm not saying don't put your marketers on some of this stuff, but sometimes sometimes people want to see the CTO or the vice president or I, I don't know, like somebody up there, you know, that's willing to do it, right? There's got to be somebody at these big organizations. Like you can't tell me you can't find one or two people that are willing to do it on a regular, semi-regular basis to help get your brand out there. And I think the more and more companies that do that, the more successful they'll potentially be, especially with the younger generation that uses those uh, those channels. Well, yeah, it's also a great, you know, everybody's looking for talent and it's a good recruitment vehicle for as well. Sure. That's an yeah. interesting point, yeah. Yeah, it just, it helps to put a face on the company and have, you know, the people talk about things and again, you know, if if you're you know not genuine, it shows up. You know, if you're just talking co- corporate speak, nobody's really tuning into that. Um, and I think that attracting talent is you know every company, especially like our company at this stage, we have a handful of developers, and we've got a couple of full timers. And this year, if we start to hit some numbers and staff up, critical part of our company is is attracting not just good people who are talented and great at what they do, but who get what we're trying to do and really see it as, as what they're driven to, to accomplish. Sure. That's hard to do, right? Very I mean, hard. That's hard. I mean, you know, when you're at a corporation, you can look at a hundred resumes and cherry pick, you know, and you can pay them when you're at a startup or even something like, you know, I mean, if we're two years plus a month old right now, we're, we're technically out of that, you know, early stage woods. Sure. Um, but, you know, do people trust you enough to want to work for you? How do they actually believe that, you know, not just the numbers on the page, but we're going to actually deliver on the promise? Um, that's that's a big risk for people. So even, you know, on the one end, people jumping off and starting a company. And the other part is who's going to join these companies coming up? No, I, I think that's that's really good advice. So how, how big is your team currently, just out of curiosity? Yeah, so we've got um, a CTO, okay, and and then we have two part-time developers under him, okay, and then we've got me, I'm full-time, and then we've got one associate who's full-time who specializes in the, in the content and the thought leadership, right, and then we have a handful of people who are um, outsourced but definitely skilled staff, right? Sure, who we, who we would love to bring on full-time, and some of them are more on the on the social networking side, for example, how do you build an audience and, and relate to that audience? Right. And then there's other people who are like category experts in finance or something, right? And sure. they have a pedigree where they're credible in order to write the content. And then there's part of us too where we're growing um, on the data science part. Right. So what we recently did is start to beef up our machine learning. So we pull a bunch of data inputs from existing data but also our own through shared content and then also the social networks. And what we do then is try to figure out what's trending, why is it the right audience, do some just sort of good brand work on it to see if it's the right message for the right place and how do we get better at it. Um, ultimately, you know, how can you make sure that people aren't going to be ever spammed, but even more important, they're going to get what they want when they need to see it. And there's a lot of people trying to do that, but um, I think you can do it by sharing content with an audience and just paying attention and respecting what they actually are interested in. No, I, I totally agree. And I think 
I, I'm I'm happy that you're honest about not everybody's full time. I think people focus too much on that. Like I, I think it, it's nice to know kind of like there's so many kind of startup myths that I, I find kind of fascinating to me. And, and the fact that, you know, not everybody on your team is full time. I think that's normal. And I think a lot of startups are, are like that. It's just, they don't like to tell people that. And I, and I'm not saying you do this, but I know other startups, they still do client work while they're building their product. And, you know, even the company I work for, we, we do some client work, we have some product work and there's nothing wrong with that stuff. Like you just need to figure out how to do what you want to do, whether you need to offset it with some client work or not have everybody full time or, or whatever. I think, you know, just figure it out. And a lot of people, you don't, there's not like this startup, you know, 101 where you need to do these steps to be a startup. It's just everybody just kind of figuring it out on their own a little bit. And everybody has kind of a different life situation. And, you know, just figure out where you want to go kind of how to get there and you know trying to follow somebody else's path you're probably never going to get there because you can't follow somebody else's path you need to follow your own you need to figure out your own path and how to get there and you need to do what you need to do to kind of get there and there'll be setbacks and there'll be letdowns and you need to pick yourself back up you know it might take a couple of days or a couple of weeks to pick yourself back up but you know just keep at it and keep going and you know I think that's kind of been my experience with this, this whole space. Yeah, you do have to have that mentality where it is a long grind and no matter what. There's definitely different schools of thought on it. And if you're in California, and I was just in San Francisco for a week, and right. we're talking to investors and customers, and and there's a mentality still of, you know, you, you basically have this great idea and you raise a bunch of money and you build it and go to market first. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And I think that is definitely a 20-something mindset. Yep. Where you can come out of Stanford and you can have a whole infrastructure that does, you know, do sort of like the, you know, the rocket fuel to yep. get you up and running. And I don't think that's necessarily normal in a lot of other places. But For I do sure. think that is normal out there and that's how you compete. You, you know, you have to put the team together everybody grinds you raise enough money that you can exist and you just you know hope that you get there first the other part of it is being in chicago and in the midwest even though you know there's a lot of money here there's a lot of technology we're at the tech incubator which is 1871 it's called and it's at the merchandise mart it's underwritten in part by the city of chicago right and it's a great support system and, and really great place to incubate talent and We've been part of an accelerator there, a real estate accelerator, actually, that helped us fund part of our, our feature set. That's awesome. And and so, you know, those things are available and, and help to set you apart. But there's also sort of a Midwestern mentality where nobody that I know is getting checks for millions of dollars. Sure. And nobody is just basically being funded until they hit certain milestones. Yep. It's a lot of money, you know, you can raise you know, either through debt or some equity or an angel around some money, but you're not going to raise a true Series A until you've got pretty much your product figured out, your product market fit, showing some signs of revenue retraction and some really good customers to vouch for you and saying that, yes, the product does fulfill a need and also uh, a staff that is full-time. So when you talk about the staffing part, all of those things, you know, do need to come together at some point. It's just a matter of how quickly, right? And obviously, 
Silicon Valley, they come together fairly quickly for the right teams. Um, also, though, the other secret in Silicon Valley is a lot of really talented people are working on three, four, five different projects. Totally. So, you know, I mean, it's it's like, okay, they're going to bet on five horses and they can manage to do sort of that as well. So is it really any different, you know? No, I, I think that's really good advice. And, and that's been my experience too. Like everybody reads news and it's all about like what's happening in the Valley, but majority of people doing startups aren't in the Valley. And, and I love the fact that you're kind of being truly honest about how it really is doing a startup because the Valley is kind of like a unicorn, right? It doesn't really exist anywhere else, if at all, you know, in yep. some cases. And so I'm like, I think just kind of breaking down the myth of the Valley is is super useful, especially to listeners outside of the Valley, which, you know, obviously I have listeners in the Valley, but, you know, there's a lot of people outside of the Valley and kind of worldwide that would love to be in the Valley that just can't for whatever reason, right? And sometimes they don't even want to be in the Valley. Well, you know, there's, there's definitely more companies that say um, they like being where they are. Mm -hmm. And even though it might be harder, I mean, people tell us all the time, just move, just move out west. It's easier. And and to be honest, we do have a data product. We are mobile first. We're totally cloud-based. We're all kinds of things that I say those things in the Midwest, mm -hmm. and people need a definition. Yeah. I say that out west, and yeah. everybody's like, okay, how does that work? What is – and they go let, immediately deeper into the conversation because that's part of their DNA now. Totally. And that is cool. It's cool to be out west and talk to people who get it. And then you show them the product and they're like, you know, asking questions that actually, you know, help you be a better product as opposed to defining, you know, some of the, the more basic concepts. So that said, there's definitely pros and cons to being in both places. But I think you got to be true to like, you know, there's talent everywhere. There's university systems everywhere that, that are basically helping and helping to accelerate and incubate. And I think there's a lot of opportunity in any market to, to grow. Um, I can look at it too from, again, as an entrepreneur, I can look at the advertising agency background and the fact that once upon a time, it was really all New York, right? Sure. It was like, that was all the big firms, maybe London too, you know, there was all the good work was coming out of a couple of places. Sure. And really that then became regionalized and all of a sudden there were great firms that were coming up out of, you know, like, it was Chicago was also always a, a big place for advertising. But sure. You know, more on the packaged goods side and not necessarily the, the really innovative work. But um, then all of a sudden Minneapolis started to pop up or even towns like Milwaukee or, you know, different groups um, in some of the southern states. You know, all of a sudden there were, there were places doing good work on a regional level that then started to get national accounts. And I think the same is true with the technology. It starts and it's centralized in a place where it really like you know the valley and it becomes known for that and it is the epicenter for it but then as that movement grows not everybody can live there not everybody wants to and so these other people who are just as talented start to say how do i take this to that level wherever they are no no you're totally right but uh jeff sadly we're out of time so maybe kind of how about in closing the show we per we can uh, or mention where um, people can find again you got you online, um, content carnivores online, and any other kind of uh, links you want to promote, and I'll put them in the show notes as well for people. Okay, I'll send you some links to that. But basically, we're you know pretty active on Twitter at content carnivore. 
and I'm going to be doing a blab show actually on olderpreneurs. Awesome. It goes along with some some of the other work, so hopefully we'll talk about that some other time. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Because um, there's you know there's some fun like we were talking about to be had with that, and then just the contentcarnivores.com website, which is evolving. You can read sort of our blogs there, and also look a little bit about what we're doing in financial. Sure. And the um, the launch of the self serve, really a free model that will be coming out, hopefully um, in the next couple of weeks. No, that's awesome. Well, uh, Jeff, thanks again for for doing the show, and uh, you know I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and uh, you know we should see if we can put together another show uh, in the future. That sounds great. I've enjoyed talking to you, Kevin. We'll uh, we'll definitely stay in touch and do another show. Perfect. Thanks, man. Talk All right. Soon. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. Until next time, keep building the future.